Guys, again, um, it's a it's a fifth Sunday today, so that means we're giving Pastor Zeke a, a break, which means he's somewhere around here, just roaming around. So who knows? So who knows where he's at? But he's um. But um, we're going to continue as we've been doing. Every time Pastor Zeke is in here, we've been going through um, a certain book of the Bible. Everyone who's who's uh, teaching, so we can kind of just be on the same page, so we can just keep going. With a nice flow, so we're going to uh, be in Second Corinthians this morning, chapter five, starting at verse eleven. If you guys want to turn there, and as you're turning there, just again, uh, obviously, I I, uh, I run the youth group here, and next um, next Saturday is our junior high conference. Um, what we've had, which which has always been just uh, the case with with the church here, it's, we have such a giving church, and we we have quite a bit of. Um, uh, sponsorships. People have said, "Hey, send a kid. If, if there's a kid who's who's financially can't go, here's some money. Send the kid." So we have some openings. So if you know any junior hires or anything, uh, talk to me after. We'll we'll get that going. Um, we do have some. I already had to order the shirts and everything. So I, I did order extra. So uh, I can't guarantee a, a right shirt size. But hey, maybe they're here. Maybe they'll be here and they'll have a shirt that's two sizes too big. It's all good. It'll, it'll. I'm sure it'll shrink. Or they're growing to it. Either way, either way, we'll figure it out. So, so it's going to be a good time. Uh, with that too, as well, um, which wasn't announced with the junior high thing. At the end of it, what we're going to do is we're going to have um, pizza at the end of the thing, and we're going to have a Nerf war. So for the junior hires, um, hey, even even some parents are like, yeah, I would love to shoot a junior hire with a Nerf gun. Sure, sure. <laughs> Feel free. Um, bring your own Nerf gun. We will provide the ammo, but uh, it'll, it should be a good time after at the end. So, so with that, let's Second uh, <clears throat> Corinthians chapter five, starting at verse eleven, and uh, to the whole chapter this morning. So, starting at verse eleven, it says, "Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences." Verse twelve: We are not again commended. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God; if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet, now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who has who reconciled us to himself, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteous of God in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, are the one who initiated, Lord, this reconciliation, Lord, to bring us back together, Lord, because, Lord, we broke we broke a relationship, Lord. There was a severed relationship that was caused by sin, Lord, by our 
by our sin, by our disobedience, Lord, but you made the way, Lord, to bring us back to yourself, Lord. And because of that, Lord, um, Lord, may that be a motivation for us, Lord, the, the main motivation for, for why we serve you, Lord, why we live, why we, Lord, have given our lives to you, Father, because you've saved us, Lord, because you've reconciled us to yourself, God, Lord, because you want to continue to do work in us now, Lord, and, 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 um, and go out, Lord, and tell other people to be reconciled to you, Father, so that I pray, Lord, that, um, Lord, you would just speak to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would have full reign, Lord, and that you would just speak to the hearts of your people this morning in your name. Amen. As I was studying for this and thinking, um, I was asking myself the question, like, what, what, what motivates me? You know, what, what motivates us to, well, just to, to do life, to live life, to go out and to get up every morning for work or, you know, go, go to work, start at night working a late shifts? What motivates us for those things? What motivates us to get up for school or for any, any type of goals that we have and, and um, all those things? Sometimes it's, it's, obviously it's love at times, it's passion. Other times, other times it's obligation that, that motivates us. Sometimes it's fear, right, that motivates us. And at the same time, it's responsibility as well. All these different things that motivate us to, to go out and to do what we have to do. But then what about ministry? As a Christian, we, we, we're called to serve the Lord. We're called to serve in a certain capacity. But what motivates us to minister when, um, when we don't see fruit, right? When, when it seems we're doing ministry, we're in some type of service to the Lord, but it doesn't seem like there's fruit there, that, that's discouraging. What motivates us to continue on when there's opposition, when there's persecution, when there's frustration, even sometimes maybe even failure? What, what keeps us going? What drives us? Um, where we left off last week, Paul talked about in the beginning of chapter 5 about um, our future destination, which is heaven, right? For the believer, he, we talked about how this earthly tent, which is our home, it's torn down. We know that we have a building from God that's, uh, that's in the heavens, that's waiting for us. He's eternal. Um, it's been said before that heaven isn't only our, our destination, but it's our motivation for what we do in this Christian life. And Paul knew that again. Best this whole letter of Second Corinthians is is a personal letter from Paul. Like everything that he's been through in ministry, the 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 struggles, the, the pain that he's gone through, with all those things, he he continued on in there. And I, I love where we kind of left off last week in verses nine and ten. This is what he says. Paul says, "Therefore we have, or we also have, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him." Just like this last song, I love that song, right? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, and uh, let it be a sweet, sweet song to your ear. And um, this was Paul's aim. That word for ambition is the word aim. It means to set your sights upon something. It means to to continue on. And, and at the end of everything, Paul's like, no, the main thing out of everything is that I want to be pleasing to God, not to man, right? Not to not to people. Um, <clears throat> not to any of that, but, but at the end of the day, it's to God. I want to be pleasing to him. I want to continue in him. Paul had been shipwrecked. He even says that he spent the night in the sea, right? Not like by the sea, right? Sometimes we camp out by the ocean. He was like literally in the ocean. He had to, he was just floating in there. And it was, he was shipwrecked on several, several occasions. He was beaten. He was threatened. He was left for dead a lot of times. But, but every time he, he kept going. How, how is that possible because sometimes we, even, even little things, we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Like, yeah, that's just too much. That was too discouraging. I got hurt too bad um, trying to serve the Lord. And I, I, yeah, I'm just going to give up and, and do something else. <clears throat> but Paul continued on in his aim was that in, in, a, 
And to give you even more of an insight, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul says this, According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know that verse, I think, very well. But I love what he says, to, to be exalted in my body or to be magnified. That word magnified, when we think of it, we, we, we usually think of, you know, when you make something bigger, right? A magnifying glass, you make things bigger and uh, so you can see it better. And it, it has that idea, but the idea more so is it's kind of like kind of like binoculars, right? Where you, where you look, you see something far away, but you can't really make it out too much. But when you put the binoculars on, all of a sudden it's closer to you. You can see it better. That's the idea behind exalted or magnified. Paul is basically saying, in, in my life or my death, like I want to bring Jesus close so everyone can see. That, that, was, that was his aim. That's what he was all about. He wanted to be pleasing to the Lord. And he didn't worry so much about what other people had to say, all the, the, the criticism that he faced, all the opposition. Uh, there's this old um, missionary society. It's a, it's a Baptist missionary society, Crest. And on the crest, it has, a, it's, it has an ox in between an altar and a plow. And it's written below as a motto, ready for either. So the idea is the oxen is ready, uh, is, is standing between the altar and the plow. He's ready for either. He's either ready for sacrifice or for service. I love that. It's a cool picture if you've ever seen this, uh, <clears throat> this, this little crest. It's, it's really cool. But the idea is like, the, the, this is what he's ready for. Ready for This is Paul the Apostle. He's ready to be... Um, to serve the Lord, and if not, to, to give up his life for Jesus. But then we come to verse 10 where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is the main thing. Again, Paul's focus was pleasing God because he understood that one day we're all going to have to give an account to God. We're all going to have to stand before him um, and, and kind of stand in and give an account for our life. What, do we, what we did with the life that he gave us. And that's, that's the key thing. Paul's, Paul's mind was always on things, things above. Everything that he did is like, no, I'm living for the eternal things because I know one day like those things are going to last. You guys know that when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about that to, to not store for yourself treasures on earth because moth and rust are going to destroy those things. But, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust they won't destroy. Anything. This is Paul understood this. Paul understood that no, I, I need to tell people about Jesus. I need to go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, we're not saying that it's not okay to have things or to to to, but but it's the difference between having things and, and living for these things. And that's all you're living for, without any idea, without any perspective of that this life isn't it. There's there's something else to come, and we're gonna have to give an account to God for that. And so he we end off on that note. We end off with with the the joys and the. The, the promises of heaven, but at the same time, we, we end up with the truth that one day we're going to have to stand before God. And so I want to come, hopefully give you three motivations this morning for us as Christians that, that will help us to continue to serve the Lord, because ministry, serving the Lord, it, it's, it's not easy at times, and it's hard. But for Paul, this is what he remembers, this is what he understands. The first thing that we see here in verse 11 is, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men but we are made manifest to God. He says a fear of the Lord. The first thing is the fear of the Lord. Fear is a good motivator, right? Sometimes, right? That's what our parents say, hey, clean up your room or else, right? You don't like that. 
we, and th- those are good motivator. But but uh, when he's talking here about fear, he is talking about fear. He's talking about a terror, a dread. Some of your translations say the terror of the Lord. And we're like, well, I thought we weren't supposed to be motivated by that type of fear. The idea here isn't like when we persuade, when, when we go out with the gospel, that we have to do this or else God's going to have to deal with us. He's going to punish us. What Paul is trying to make us understand for us is that there is that there is a truth that God is a holy God, right? We know we know the loving God, we know the merciful, the gracious God, but God is holy. God can't. It's, the Bible says He can't look upon sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. He's going to have to deal with sin one day, and uh, He's He's going to pour out His His wrath upon a, a sinful world. That yeah, that is a scary thing to think about. But but what Paul wants us to understand is like for us as Christians, we've been delivered from that. If you're giving your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible's clear that that we're not destined for wrath, right? In um, in First John chapter four, verse eighteen, it says that there is no fear in love, but that perfect love casts out all fear, because fear deals with punishment, and those who who fear aren't haven't been perfected in love. We understand that, right? We understand, oh man. I messed up. Oh man, I'm in trouble. I, I did something, you know, or when we we're younger, especially with our parents. Oh man, I'm going to get it, right? Or our mom's like, wait till your dad gets home, right? We, we know those fears. We, we understand those things. But for us as Christians, what Paul wants us to understand is like, we've been delivered from fear. Our motivation isn't like, oh, we have to do this or else God is going to deal with us or God is going to punish us or do anything like that. No, we, we understand. Our persuasion is like, no, we're, we've been delivered from that. We know who God is. We understand the truth of God. We understand that we're sinners, but we understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross so we can be delivered from that. So Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We, we go out with the gospel and tell people, like, you don't have to live in that fear. You don't have to live. Because there are people who, who have that condemnation upon them. They know, like, man, I know I've done bad things. I know I've did this, this, or that, like, but I don't know what to do. I have this guilt upon me. And for us as Christians, we persuade men and women. We go out with the gospel message. We say, no, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross. He took the wrath of God, so we don't have to have that in our lives. And so this is what he's talking about. We go from there. And, and another thing in regards to that motivation is that it says here going on in verse 11 that um, we're being manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. One of the things for us as we go, because one day, again, we're going to have to stand before God, is to have a clear conscience before him. <clears throat> At the end of the day, Paul the Apostle knew, is like, I'm going to be pleasing to God. Like, we live, a, we live in a social media era of life where everyone throws out their opinion about something. Or you have to be about this, you have to be about that. Right? We, we sometimes mold ourselves because I, I, I work with the youth, like that's more something I, I, I see, right? They, they, they mold themselves so they can get more likes, so they can get more follows. And it's like, oh, you have to be about this. Oh, this celebrity says you have to be about, about this issue. That every, everything right now in our culture is politicized, right? It's, it's political. Everything has to be that way, right? Even in, and what happens even in the church is that we get caught up in that, that pressure of what, what everyone else in the world is talking about. Oh, what about this issue? What about this issue? The church should be about this issue, right? The church should be about whatever, Universal health care or something like that. And if you're not, if you're not for that, then, then, you know, maybe you're not doing church. I was like, no, no, no. I mean, I think Jesus is about universal health care. He says he died on the cross so everyone could have salvation, right? That's universal health care, not, uh, not this other stuff. And, and he said for the whole world, right? But, 
But this is, these are the things that, that happen. And for, for Paul, he dealt with those things. He was going out preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, making disciples, starting churches. But he had, he had opposition. He had people saying, like, oh, th- this guy's not in it for, for Jesus. He's in it for selfish gain, for selfish ambition, for his own, for his own good, and for, you know, so he can give himself a, a pat on the back. And all these things were going out there. And we hear those things all the time. Sometimes we deal with those things as well. But Paul said, no, the, the main thing is, no, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing for Jesus Christ. And for our own lives, each and every one of us are going to stand before God individually for our own sins. It's not going to be like, hey, God, but that wasn't my fault because this happened back then. And sometimes we're pressured by other people. It's like, oh, you do this is Maybe you should do this this way. Right, I, I I love I am very much appreciative and thankful for uh, you know Pastor Zeke in this church because we know what we're about we're about teaching the Word of God we're about building relationships relationships with people and 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 making disciples in that way. Other churches do things differently, and that's okay. Right, we know what we're about like because this is what we believe God has called. That's why we're going to have this week of prayer and fasting because we want to know the mind of the Lord, what He wants us to do in this church in Calvary Chapel feeling, right? Not the church next door to us or down the street. And sometimes those things happen as well. Other churches are like, oh, you don't do this. You, you're, not, you're not about this. And, or sometimes like, oh, you should be about this type of mission field or this type of thing. It's like, well, no, this is what God has called us to. This is what we're going to do. And for us as well, individually, we need to know that as well. You need to have a clear conscience before God. Like, what is God calling you to do? Are you in his word? Are you seeking him in prayer? Then, yeah, then, then, then I think you're on the right path, and you, you should have that confidence of knowing. Because we get caught up, right? Sometimes we do get caught up. We do concern ourselves with what other, other people think. And, um, and I'm not saying those are bad things, right? Because the Bible talks about how we should have godly counsel. Right? There's godly wisdom. There's a difference, though, right? There's a difference between when someone's like, hey, like, can I give you some counsel on this? I see this. Yeah, we should be humble enough to take those things. But then there's another thing where you're, like, you're doing something, and someone's like, oh, you're doing it that way? Yeah, I wouldn't do it that way. So okay, that's fine. That's 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 cool. You, you said your opinion, but I I believe this is what the Lord is showing me to do. So, I'm going to do it. And Paul was that way. He went out with the gospel. He wasn't one of the original twelve apostles, and that was another thing that people try to come at him with. Like he's not part of the original twelve. How how do we know he's a authentic, real apostle? Like, well, God commissioned me, right? God told me to go out, and God and I met Jesus on Damascus, and and uh, and the proof is in. I think in the fruits of what we're doing, and that's that'll be the end thing. And again, at the end of the day, we're going to have to give an account to God for all those things. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 18 and 20, um, after the church was birthed, the day of Pentecost, Peter and John are preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, they get arrested, right? And then they, they, they have to let them go because it's like, well, their miracle happened, we can't really do anything, the Pharisees. But they tell them, hey, we're going to let you go, but don't talk about Jesus anymore. You need to stop doing that. And Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20 says this, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. I love that. So he says, hey, we, we know what God has called us to do. We've, we've experienced, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have to go out with this message like, yeah, you're going to try to silence us, that's whatever, but we're going to go out. And that's a, that's a change from before that, because in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 and 40, John, which if you guys know in Scripture, he was, you know, he, him and his brother were called the Sons of Thunder, 
not a good name when, she, when you're called that. But it says, as John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for he who is not against us, against us is for us. I love that because that's, that's sometimes how we get where it's like, well, they're not doing the, the, this church isn't doing the things that we do. That they're not called to. God has called them to do a certain thing, right? In, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, we talk about how the body of Christ, there's different functions in the body, right? One's an ear, one's a, one's a foot, one's a hand. They'll have different things. <clears throat> and we shouldn't worry about, man, I want to be like a foot or, or man, I wish I was more like this. But the other way too, the, the flip side is that is like, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you're, you're an ear, you're not a foot. Yeah, maybe you're not that important. Maybe you, you should be more like, more like that. And it's like, no, this is what God call, has called me. This is the ministry has, that God has called me in. Children's ministry, youth, ushers, all, there's all these different things. If that's where God has called you, that's where he's called you. And we need to be confident in that. And then he continues on about in, chapter, in verse 12, we are not again commending ourselves to you, but we are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Another thing that we, that we have to remind ourselves because, uh, again, one day we are going to stand before the Lord is like we, we shouldn't desire the praises of men, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, kind of in a real sense be people pleasers, but we need to be God pleasers, right? This is what he says because there's other people out there, Judaizers, other other you know, Christian pe- uh, preachers, leaders out there. There, there, it was all about selfish gain. It was all about the the commendation, the the prestige, the being called pastor or rabbi. Remember those things. But Paul's like, no, like we, I, we, I just want to please God, and and um, I think um, as we do those things when we're pleasing God, when we're serving the Lord, we're going to serve naturally serve others, and people are going to see those things in our lives. Right? Sometimes we know when people are, are about, you know, they're, they're sincere in heart and when they're not. And Paul is saying, no, like, this is our desire. This is what we want to be. And for us as well, we need to be pleasers of God rather than pleasers of man. We shouldn't desire the praises of man. Because when we do that, that means that sometimes we compromise, right? It's all about our, our reputation, not so much about our character. And we, we begin to compromise our character and what we're called to do because, oh, because we've got to be this, this, and that. Because there's so many things, like, the, because we're about certain things, like, well, why don't you do, you, you don't have this type of program, you don't have that type of program. Yeah, we don't. Like, um, and, and we've said it before, is like, we want to we we be good at the, the things we do, right? Because there's sometimes, like, oh, we have all these programs, all these different things going on, but because we're so spread so thin, we only can give them 30 40%, and we rather do less things and give it, and, and put more value, put more percentage, put more effort and time into those things instead of being thin just because, oh, look at, oh, look at all the things that we have. Um, we rather, we rather do a, little, a lot of little things or little things really well instead of a lot of things okay because we want to make sure that we're, we're pleasing the Lord and not man. And he continues on after that with his last thing, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Right? Some people are saying that Paul was crazy. If you guys know who D.L. Moody is, um, famous evangelist, you know, obviously he was bringing people to the Lord. He was doing awesome. God was using him powerfully. But, but the world, the outside world, they would call him Crazy Moody, right? And they may. That's discouraging at times. Sometimes, like, I don't, I don't care what they say. I don't care. What they, but for some people, it's like, man, yeah, 
Those, those words do hurt. And, um, and it can be easy when we start hearing those things, like, oh, you're, you're doing your Christian thing, oh, you're that, oh, you're a Christian, so you're, you're a bigot, then you're, you're closed-minded, whatever the case may be. And those things can begin to affect us. But at the end of the day, again, we're going to stand before God. We're, gonna, we're not going to stand before those critics, right? We know who D.L. Moody is, most of us, right? His critics, the people who criticize him, I don't know their name. Maybe you don't either. Right? Because, because God is going to, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to have to give an account to God and not to others. And we shouldn't put so much in what other people think. Obviously, again, there's, there's a balance between that. When, when, when there's people who say, hey, like, it seems like you're doing this. I want to give you some counsel. There's loving counsel that comes, and you know those people. We know those things. But there's others who are just critical people, critical, and they always have to speak their, speak their mind, speak through. That's fine, too. But be confident in what the Lord has shown you to do and continue to do those things. And that's, again, the first thing is, is a fear of the Lord. We, we, uh, we continue on. We're motivated now because... We're scared of God because there's a terror of the dread, but we realize, like, hey, we've been delivered of those things, and we want to tell other people about the deliverance that we found in Christ Jesus. And then the next thing we have in verses uh, 14 through 16 is the love of Christ. He says that in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. If that's not a motivation to, to serve the Lord, then I don't know what else is, right? that Christ loves us, that he died on the cross. When he speaks of the love of Christ, it means his sacrificial uh, death on the cross. That's what it's talking about. 1 John four nineteen says this, we love him because he first loved us. Right, that's what it is. We, we, we do these things out of a motivation of love because we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. He said that he died for us all, uh, therefore all have died. What, what, does that even, what does that even mean? What's he talking about? He's talking about our old nature. He's talking about that, that, the, that we died to, to our old self, that we identify with Christ in his death, in, our, in, in, this, in, the, in the flesh, that we die to our, to our old self. It says in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 10, it's kind of lengthy, but there's, there's so much good stuff in here. But it says this, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives, we, no long, we are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Verse 9, we are sure of this, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That's like a whole other message in itself. It's just, it's just like a lot of good stuff in there. But that's what he's talking about. Like we, we've died to our old self. Like the power of sin, it's, it has nothing over you anymore. Not saying that we're, we're perfect now, right? We won't be perfect until we're, until we're in eternity, but... But we're being sanctified day in and day out. We're, we're, we're being more and more made conformed to the image of Jesus. Yeah, we're going to have times where we stumble and we fall, but, we're, but we're, we continue on. We, just like Paul did, we continue to strive and to, to, to go towards Jesus. But we do these things because, because out of love, because he died for us, so that we can die to our old self, so we can have a new nature. 
And then in verse 15 he says, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. And yeah, I love that because he's given us a new life. Or he died so we can have a new life in him, so we can have a, a fresh start, a, a new life, because, because we need that, because we've, we've, we've all had our, our share in, in this life and what we've done, and, and um, we've all dabbled in things and done things, but God died so we can die to those old things and be made alive in him. But also, in verse 16 and 17, it says we get to share in his new creation. If you guys know uh, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, the second part of that talks about two Adams. Talks about the first Adam, which is right, Genesis, Adam and Eve. We know the story he took of the fruit, right, whatever the fruit was. Some say it was an apple, whatever, I don't know. I always think it was a nectarine because I love nectarines. That would probably tempt me, if anything. Right? Apples are like, yeah, I want to eat that. Nectarines, like, yeah, I'll probably go for that. Anyway, that's besides the point. But, but we know the story, right? Eve, Eve was deceived by the serpent that Adam took. And because of his disobedience, we were all, the human race was plunged into sin. Not just sin, but the condemnation of God. That's, that's where we were. That was our place. And um, that was our standing before God. But then Paul talks about the second Adam, which is Jesus. He says the second Adam, which is Jesus, he was obedient to God. He was obedient, as it says in Philippians, to the point, uh, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's how, that's, that's what his, that was his obedience, and he went to the cross, and because of the cross, because of that, now we enter into this new creation where we, where we have salvation and righteousness. In verse 16, it says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet, now we, uh, we know him in this way no longer. One of my favorite uh, um, scriptures is in Mark chapter 33, uh, or chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. It's Jesus after he crosses the sea, they've been ministering all day. <clears throat> They're trying to get across so they can rest. But the people see him and they follow him and his disciples. They get to the other side. There's a big crowd. And obviously they're tired, but Jesus says this. We, we see this about Jesus. The people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all their cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a, a large crowd. And this is, the, this is the main point. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I've always loved that verse. That's how Christ sees us, right? He sees us as lost, as, as, as a sheep without a shepherd. And for us as well now as Christians, we see people who, who need Jesus, right? We don't just see people as like, oh, that, that person's, yeah, yeah, that person's just messed up, whatever, because sometimes we can do that. We can put that, oh, yeah, they're, they're messed up. They're too far gone. But because we've been new, we've been made new in Jesus Christ, our mindset, the way we see people should be the way Christ sees people as people who are lost, who need Jesus. People who, just like it says back in verse, that we persuade men because we want to, we want to show them, no, you don't, there's no, you don't need to have that condemnation on your life, that guilt. Christ took that so you can have salvation and, and, and joy and peace with God. So we go out and we see people in that light. And it says we once saw Christ according to the flesh. Even now we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. What that means is, right, we, we know Christ. We know that he, was, he came on this earth. He was, born, he was a baby in a manger. We, we know he grew. And uh, we know the whole story. We have a gospel message. But we don't just see them as that, right? We see him as, as God who's in heaven, who's on the throne. 
Now that this, he's, he's a high, our high priest who makes intercession for us. In the book of Revelation, when John is on the island of Patmos, it says he sees his vision of Jesus. He sees a glorified Jesus. He saw him in a way that he had never seen him before. It says when he saw him, that he fell at his feet as, if, as like a dead man <clears throat> because he saw the, the risen, the glorified Lord. And that's how at times, uh, that, that's how we need to see him as well, that he's on the throne, he's in control, right? There's, um, you know, we, we have pictures, we have sometimes, there's necklaces that we wear that have, that has a, a cross on it, but Jesus is still on the cross. And, you know, there's, uh, and, and we would tell people, hey, he's not there anymore, right? He's risen again from the dead. We don't, we don't see him just, just as those things, even though we, we know he did all those things, but we see him as on the throne, right? On the throne in control. And because he's that, because he's that, we, we can rejoice and we have this new life. Verse 17 is, a, if you guys don't know this verse, this is one of those verses you want to highlight. Put a little smiley face in your Bible if, you're, if you do that stuff, but this is a great verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is how we get to share Jesus as well, that, that everything is made new now. That we're not the old self, the, I'm not the old Jacob I was before I came to Christ, who, who was disobedient, who did dumb things, who was rebellious and, and just did whatever he wanted, didn't care what anyone thought. But no, I, I've, I've been, we've been redeemed. We're new creations. We're new creatures. Yeah, people will try to bring up your past and say, oh, you used to be about this, you used to be about that. And they're going to do that. That's what's going to, those things are going to happen. But again, just like Paul knew, just like we should know as well, this is, this is for us. This is a promise. You are a new creature. This is, this is something you can stand. This is the truth of the Word of God that you, you're brand new. You have a different nature now. You're, you're a new creature. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're not a, you're not a part of the old Adam, the first Adam. You're, you're a part of the, the second Adam, the new Adam, because of what he did on the cross for our sins. That's for us. Let me give you guys another verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians, but for us as well. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I know, that's one of those touchy verses, huh? But he says all that. He says they will not. That's, that's like the, that's a fact. He's saying that, that that will not happen. But verse eleven says this: "Such were some of you, right? Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God." This is for us today, because the enemy is always going to try to remind you of your past, of what you've done. Always try to put that condemnation back on you. But but the Bible's clear: there's no more condemnation for those who are in. Who are in Christ Jesus, you have a new nature, and this is what this is. This is another motivation that we have that we're not the same that we that we once were. Yeah, we've we've done things, we've probably hurt people, and all those things. But you've been sanctified, you've been washed of those things. You're not the same person anymore. And and tell you, there's a lot of times where that happens, where the enemy tries to remind you of like, man, you want to serve in children, you want to do this, like, but it used to be this, it used to be about this. Like, you, you shouldn't, right? And he tries, and in our own mind, we can disqualify ourselves because, like, yeah, you're, I mean, yeah I, yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I did dumb things. But Christ took your place. He died in your place. He took the penalty of your sins. And now, because of that, you're a new creature in Christ. Because we died to our old selves, 
we know that we're going to be raised again with him. We have new life, and we can live for Jesus now. And again, there's always going to be, there's always going to be that. There's always going to be that reminder. There's always going to be the enemy trying to, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to go for it, if you're motivated to follow Jesus, yeah, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be people who are going to discourage you and try to come at you, but but have confidence in what God has done for you. Know what he's done. It's like, no, like we, we should have those clear conscience. No, I, I'm redeemed now. I'm saved. I'm going to continue on and go forward. And this is what he, and this is what he says. So we, we have that motivation. It's like, yeah, not only for us, but that, that, can be, that can be others. That's why we persuade men. That's why we go out with the gospel. That's why we serve because we're like, no, like this can be for you as well. You can have this reality in your life that you're a new creature in Christ. Those old things are gone. They've passed away. Everything is new now. And then the last thing that God has commissioned us, right? <clears throat> we're called as ambassadors. And verses 18 through 21 says, Now all these things are from God. All these things that we have, they're from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That word reconciliation, we know it, right? It means to kind of bring back together something. But, but in, the, in, in the New Testament, it kind of has this other um, kind of deeper definition. It means to change thoroughly. It means we have a changed relationship with Christ. Because before, before we came to Christ, our relationship with God was we're sinners, God is holy, and we're going to have to deal with that, Right? We're going to have to be judged for our sins. We're, we do have the terror of God upon our lives. But now, because we're in a new relationship, because that relationship has changed, because of the reconciliation that Jesus did, now we have peace with God. right? Now we have his peace. Now we have joy. Now we have eternal life. Now we have fellowship with the God of the universe. That's, that's, this is what that word means. It's so much more than just like, oh yeah, just kind of bring it back together. No, like it's been changed early. It's not the same as it was before. It can't be the same, right? It, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's different now. And he says, we have because uh, God reconciled us through Jesus Christ, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation, right? This is another part of our service to God. This is the key, is salvation, right? It's to, to bring people back to the Lord. Everything else is secondary, right? God has called us to go out to the, into the nation to make disciples of everyone, to bring people back to Jesus, tell them about, hey, Jesus loves you. He wants to, he, he made a way so you can be made one with him. That's what we're called to do. And once, and, and uh, again, sometimes we get caught up in the issues that are out there in the world. Say, like, well, what about this? What about that? Yeah, those things are, those are, those are important things as well. But, but the main thing is the main thing. The main thing is that Jesus Christ died so people can be saved, so they can have eternal life to look forward to. Right? Not just the comforts of this life, but, but eternal life to look forward to. And this is what we're called to do. And he goes on in verse 19, says, Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. There's a, there's a big, uh, there's a theological word I want to I kind of throw at you right now. It's called imputation, to impute something. And it, we get that term from the from the banking world. So when we go to the bank, right, we go to the teller, we have our check or cash, whatever, and we, we say, hey, can you put this to our savings checking account? And they do that. They put it, they put it in the computer, and now that, that money, that, that whatever it is, is imputed to your account. It's on there. They put it to, to your account. For us, when Jesus died on the cross, all our sins were imputed on him. They are put on his account, on his life. And, and uh, because of that, he was 
basically treated as to God by God as if he was the one who sinned, even though we know he didn't sin, right? But all the sins were placed upon his account, and the wrath and the terror of God, the judgment of God fell upon him. That punishment fell upon him. The result of that is all those, who, all those sins were paid for, and God doesn't hold those against us anymore. So reconciliation has to do with imputation. Our sins were put upon the, the account of Christ as if he was the one who committed them, even though he didn't. It's, it's a crazy um, thing just to, that sometimes you just have to think about for a while. It's like, wow, this is, this is, what, this is the reality of the situation. Because of that, because he took that punishment, God doesn't hold the, our sins against us. But I sinned. I'm the one who messed up. I'm the one who did these things. I know what I did. Right now, the time when I was doing it, yeah, I wanted to do it. I went in. So, but no, but, but Christ paid for him. God doesn't hold those against you anymore. And because of that, when we put our, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, right, when we put our faith and trust in him for what he did now, what's imputed onto us is his righteousness. The Bible says that our righteousness, the good things that we try to do, are, are as filthy rags in his sight. But now it says that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's been put on to our account. And this is this whole idea of reconciliation. That's why it says there in verse 20, therefore, there's a lot of therefores in this, in this, in this uh, section, right? Because Paul is always about that. He always gives you the doctrine, like what we should know, the truths of the Bible. But then he says, hey, but this is what we should do now. Now that we know this, this is like our natural response to that, right? The doctrine and the duty, right? That's what he's talking about. Therefore, in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. That's the reality of it. As ambassadors, God is, is through, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. We're going out and saying, hey, be reconciled to God. Hey, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins so you can be made right with him. That's what we're called to do, each and every one of us. That's, that's, as Christians, that's what we're all called to do. And he says, as, as um, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right, there's a lot of name-calling about Christians in the world that we're, again, we're bigots or we're judgmental or we're closed-minded. The reality is we're, we're ambassadors. We're called because we want people to be reconciled to God. Right? I know there's a, there's a lot of other, you know, churches do other things, right? They doom and gloom people. It's like fire and brimstone people, right? But at the end of the day, we, we want people to be made right with God. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, final, the final thing. We want people to know God because we've known God. Right? In the, in the book of Psalms, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We've tasted and seen. We want others to. I remember um, <clears throat> I, when I, I, went, I was able to go to Bible college out in Germany, and one of our friends, a couple of, couple of people came out from Germany after we came back. You know, and they're German people. They came out to visit. And obviously, because California, we're, we live in California, they've, you know, they've, uh, and they're in Germany. Our Germany is an awesome, beautiful country. But uh, the one thing that they don't have, obviously, is in and out, right? So, so when they come back, they come here. That's the first thing. Like, that's the first thing. Like, oh, we are taking in and out. That's like, it's a California staple, right? Because I, because when I was in Germany, you know, you talk with them. It's like, oh yeah, one of the best places in and out. You can tell them, describe how good in and out is to them because you've tasted it. But not until they've actually tasted like a double double, then they really know. Then they've tasted and seen, right? Well, a million times more so. A billion times more so. For us, we've tasted and seen the goodness of Christ in our lives. We've known that we've been delivered, right, from our sins, that we're not under the terror of God anymore, that we're not under wrath, that we have peace and fellowship with God. Even more so, we should tell you, you, you need to know who Christ is, and we're, we want to tell you about him. 
And then verse 21, at the end, it says, As he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's, that's it, right? That's, this is what Christ did for us. No longer does God look at, at, at me in, in a, my sinful life and say, oh yeah, this guy, that guy's a sinner. He's like, no, no, he sees a son in us, right? Because we are clothed with his righteousness. It's been, it's been put to our account. It's been credited to us. Like, no, he's righteous now. Right? That's this idea of justification, right? That we're just as if we had never sinned. That's how God sees us. That's crazy because we know, right? Right? Our spouses know. It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess sinner. But now in the eyes of Christ, it's like, no, just as if they've never sinned because they put their trust and their faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Now we are made righteous in his sight. This is everything that God did. This is, and these are our motivations, right? The fear of the Lord, not, not because we're scared of him, because we're like, oh, if I don't do this, something's going to happen to me. It's like, no, like we've been delivered from that. So we want to tell people about that. The love of the Lord motivates us because we know the love of, that Christ has for us. And at the end, because we know the, the, the love that Christ has for us, because we know what he's done for us, we're called to go out and tell people, be reconciled to God, be made right with God. This is, that's the end, in the end of the day. That's what, that's what we're called to do. That's what's going to happen. Um, I remember Pastor saying, it's like at the end of it all, the thing that's leaving heaven are souls, right? <clears throat> not all this other stuff, not those things. And, we, and we're called to go out and, and tell people about Jesus so they know that that there's a God in heaven who loves them, who wants to be reconciled back to them, who's done all those things so we can be made right with him. So with that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are, Lord, a loving God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've done everything, Father, that, that Lord, there's nothing that we did, Father, to make ourselves right with you, Lord, to to put ourselves in a right standing with you, Lord. You, you're the one who did it all, Father. As we sung earlier, Lord, there's the, you don't owe us anything, Father. We, Lord, we're indebted to you, Lord. And, and, but, Lord, yet you love us, Lord. Yet you've called us your sons and daughters, your, Lord. Yet you call us righteous and pure and holy, Father. And, and for us, we, we just step back sometimes. and are like, that's, how is that possible? Well, that's how good you are, Lord. That's how gracious you are, Father. And now, Lord, may our natural response be, Lord, to be well-pleasing to you, Lord. Lord, to magnify you, Lord, to, to bring you close to others who are around. Everyone we come in contact with, Lord, that we would bring them close to you, Lord, that, we would, that they would know who you are, Lord, that they would be reconciled back to you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your goodness, Lord. And I pray for, for anyone in here, Lord, who's just because ministry is hard, life is hard, serving the Lord is hard, Father, and I pray for those who just need to be motivated right now, Lord, who need to be reminded of how good you are, Lord, and that they would continue on in you, Lord, that they would endure. We thank you and praise you, Lord, in your name. Amen.